This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me today, uh, we have, camera Aslan, by the way, we have the returns of He Is The Man I Turn To For All Things Tech, because I barely know how to change a light bulb. He is Matt Armitage. Hey, Cam, nice to be here. Uh, great to have you. Uh, also known in India as Matt Armitage. And then uh, our second man is, he's a marketing uh, guru. He's an uh, advertising guru, sorry. He's a, um, you tell me, what are, he is Vernon Adrian Amon. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, I, I wince every time you say advertising guru because I don't see myself that way. But yeah, um, what do I do? I'm a communication person, I guess. Yeah, I'm a hack. I'm a busybody. Yeah, he's, that's he's, me. He's also an actor. And he, he does many things. He does many things. <laughs> so um, a, a hacker. Exactly. <laughs> Very uh, good. Yeah. Okay. And uh, our three topics this week. Our topic number one is the end of the iPod. Topic number two is a look back at the dot-com bubble and also a look, a look at NFTs revisited. And finally, topic number three is what is your fetish? So uh, topic number one, Matt, the iPod. I haven't said it for so long, I even wasn't even sure if I said it right. The death of the iPod. The death of the iPod. No, this is a, a recent announcement by Apple that they are discontinuing the iPod line. Um, and as you said, most people probably didn't know that Apple was still uh, making iPods because it seemed like absolutely ages since we need a portable music player that plays physical files you know most of us are streaming or we've gone back to vinyl or or whatever else um but yes apple has been selling a player the um the ipod touch so it's not really what we think of as an ipod um because that that model the 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 ipod classic that most of us think of as the ipod they actually discontinued that back in i think 2014 um, and again, uh, I looked up when they discontinued it because my iPod Classic, I still think of it as being new because it's the newest music player I have. And if you asked me when I bought it, I'd probably have said, oh, I've maybe had it since 2016 or maybe 2018. But no, they discontinued them in 2014. So it must be close to 10 years old. Um, so I guess it's this this idea of what the iPod has kind of come to represent because I've got an iPod that sits on my desk. It actually sits underneath my monitor. I keep it in my line of sight, but it's not even charged up. Um, something about looking at it just reassures me. It, it makes me happy. And I don't know why it's just because of what it kind of represents to me and even when I declutter my office you know I'll often remove it and say well I don't need this to be there but usually I put it back within hours of removing it there's some kind of intrinsic or inherent magic to this little thing that keeps me putting it back on my desk and it's strange because you know it looks futuristic for some reason, until I turn it on. As soon as you turn it on, uh, you get a screen that tells you, no, this is, you know, 10 or 15 years old. But there's still that that magic character to it. So, you know, it's this, with this announcement that they're 
no longer going to be making anything that's branded as iPod. I just wondered if this is something that's kind of unique to me or whether anyone else feels that same sense of symbolism and that same attachment to this device that smartphones have kind of made irrelevant. Mm. Vernon? Yep. Well, I can tell you um, that when I heard it was being discontinued, I went through that same process of like, what does it mean to me, et cetera, right? And yes, uh, the iPod Classic, which I own, which was given to me in 2006, I still use it. And yes, looking at it is a religious experience because it is so friggin' well-designed, okay? It is, um, you could say, uh, the turning point, the pivotal moment when mankind realized that simplicity was it. You know, when uh, what's-his-face, uh, Steve Jobs decided to minimize everything down to just the wheel and the switch-on, switch-off button. And that was it, to, to, to plow through thousands of songs and your entire record collection. So somehow there's quite a transcendental quality about the iPod Classic, huh? because the iPod Touch was the precursor to the... Uh, iPhone, basically. But the iPod Classic is when, for me, the whole world, the universe changed. And so, you, yes. still, you still use it to this day. You, but you cannot import anything new onto it, can you? I actually haven't tried. But yeah, so my music collection from I don't know when is still the same as it frozen was. Frozen in yeah. time. Frozen in time, yeah. The, <laughs> but I, I think I, I haven't tried yet uploading or because I was thinking of like... You can't, I, you can't. I, that, that was when I discovered that my one no longer worked. I tried to and it said we no longer... And this was years ago. Wow. We no longer support this. Wow, so I'm stuck in time. No, but you, I mean, you you can, but you have to sideload it. You can't... I don't think you can do it through Apple's own infrastructure anymore. You, I think you can still do it with kind of third-party software, but because none of us really own these kind of physical media files anymore. Most of us just stream from the, the cloud. We rely on data rather than this kind of, you know, physical storage. I know. Well, just today, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, to put onto my phone a Beatles album, and I, I have it on vinyl, and I thought I had it on CD, and I was going through my collection, like, Put, blowing off the dust <laughs> and uh, and so finally i couldn't find it so finally i have to buy it again um i you know i loved the ipod and but when you started talking about it i had to work really hard to remember what it looked like but vernon helped me but i would imagine there are people under the age of what who have absolutely no idea what we're talking about people 20 and younger well they should they should really get in touch with what it was all about because it's that wheel, that wheel, that mandala-type-looking thing or what's it's. Mm. There's a spiritual connection to how it all works because yeah. it's so simple. And I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, like when Matt was talking about how he looks at it and it just holds him, um, I connected with that. I really did. Yeah, but <laughs> did you, do you guys not have the same kind of feeling for the um, Sony Walkman? Um, no, not no. not kind of in the in the same way because... I've, and I think it's because of what the iPod became and what it came to to represent. So, you know, the the Walkman was about that freedom to take your music on the move. And yes, the iPod was an evolution of that. But because of 
what it turned into, it actually became much more about being able to take information. It became that precursor yes. to smartphones and other digital devices. So it became this kind of gateway to this this much bigger thing. And I, I mean, just to, um, uh, I don't want to uh, fetishize the uh, click wheel, <laughs> but, um, but yes, I find myself pressing the buttons on my not charged up iPod that sits on my tables um, because it has that satisfaction. I mean, uh, Vernon mentioned, you know, jobs and minimalism, um, but we've taken that minimalism a stage further with our smartphones. When you turn a smartphone off, there's nothing there at all. You know, it's just a, a glass sheet wrapped around some metal. So it's kind of this, this last generation, I guess, of digital devices that actually do something with the power off. You know, you can get that satisfaction from physically clicking wheels that you don't get with haptic screens that only work when there's electricity running through them. Yeah, I guess I've got it, my old one somewhere. I don't know. I've got a box out there full of old phones and whatnot, which which I always imagine one day will be worth millions, but of course will be worth nothing. <laughs> but so you've not felt that kind of joy ever since. The, the iPhone, et cetera, is nothing to you, is it? No, I mean, I'm, I happily recycle all my old iPhones, you know, I'll give them to people or sell them on or whatever. But I, you know, you'd, you'd have to force me to part with that iPod classic. You know, the, like I said, I mean, I, I don't even like not having it out of my line of sight when I'm working. Oh. It's, Vernon, it's weird. And you're the same. You fetishize it too then. <laughs> oh, well, you know, um, I, I, I have it on. Um, at least once a week, at least, usually more than once a week, maybe sometimes every you know few days, uh, because it's got uh, music of mine from I don't know when. Um, but yeah, uh, Matt, I just I just get you. I mean, like, yeah, it has a hold on you in a manner that no other device has. Um, because I can still play my music from my current iPhone, which is a dinosaur iPhone S, a uh, 6S. But I'd rather go to the iPod, well, mainly because it's got a selection of music there that I'm familiar with. Although I can still have even more immediate access through my iPhone, Spotify or YouTube. But I don't know why. Yeah, you're right that the uh, tactile nature of, and, and, and also the look, it's also the look, the presence. I don't know, it does something quite extraordinarily interesting. Yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's take a trip even further back in time. A little bit further back in time and technology world, uh, the dot com bubble. Now, uh, we three will remember that, but I think if you're under the age of gosh, what 30, you might not even remember it. It's, um, uh, in the late 90s and uh, by the year 2000, everybody who was anybody had any kind of money was spending it on internet stocks and internet ideas and i remember in kl there were so many meetings gatherings of people where you'd wear different colored stickers to show if you're an investor or a or a or a what do they call them i can't remember they call them creators or whatever back then and um and i tried to always find a color that sort of said caterer and then eventually in america anyway the the market just completely collapsed by the year 2000 the Nasdaq, the nascent Nasdaq, had collapsed, uh, lost one point seven five five trillion dollars. Uh, stocks had fallen by like ninety percent, and 
names that which people were really celebrating at the time have disappeared, like Pets.com. Yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers that one. Uh, Boo.com. Yep. And yep. AOL, America Online, which was going to take over the world. And um, the, even the Time Warner uh, stuck the name AOL to make themselves seem all hip and groovy. And and I'm I'm wondering, uh, and I, you two guys would know this much better than I do. So NFTs, for instance, is the flavor of, has been the flavor of the month for a few months, but cryptocurrencies and NFTs have the their value have really has really collapsed um, over the last few months. Um, again, like ninety percent just crashed, and and I I know was feeling a real sense of Schadenfreude and excitement, like yes, modern life is rubbish, technology is crap, and so I started <laughs> reading it up a bit, and it was like, oh no, they've just morphed into something else. Oh god. So, um, are, you know, is are we going to be seeing versions of uh, dot com bubbles? Has the internet worked out what the hell it is yet? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you, Matt. Well, I mean, I think we've worked out what we want this current iteration of the internet to be. It doesn't look like we're particularly happy with it, as uh, as you can see with all the, the kind of fuss over Elon Musk trying to mm. take over Twitter, for example. Um, but the internet looks set to make that next jump so we're looking at the uh, technologies like the, the the metaverse we're looking at these more kind of immersive forms of the internet where a virtual version of ourselves can go to work and play and hang out and do all of the things that we currently do in the real world um, but in terms of uh, you know the nfts the cryptocurrency and the kind of bubbles that we've seen around those, um, they're essentially a skin on top of a technology that I think will be powering the next generation of the, the internet. So the blockchains, the idea of these distributed and decentralized ledgers that underpin NFT technologies, um, anything that has, you know, sort of a, a crypto uh, term affixed to it, um, this is a technology that is going to be underpinning the the internet of the future. But I don't think it's going to be in that same speculative sense that we're seeing now where people are just pumping mad amounts of money into currencies that you can't use to buy anything with, which ergo is not a currency, or pumping silly money into um, a, a digital version of the, the first ever tweet. I think it was sold for uh, over a million dollars uh, to a to a Malaysian entrepreneur yeah, uh, who is really? uh, yeah who is uh, now struggling to to offload it for you know um, ten dollars. So we've seen a lot of crazy money going into this this space, but that's like any of these kind of classic early adopter uh, kind of markets. It just goes all over the place. It's not really underpinned by any sense of discipline and. Uh, uh, that will evolve into something more stable. Yeah. Uh, Vernon, are you the Malaysian entrepreneur who bought the NFT? Uh, sorry, no, I don't know. It wasn't me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it's it's kind of interesting where you uh, mentioned how uh, we were all caught up in that era, because I certainly was. And yeah. I actually started up um, a company called Defiant Laboratories um, back then, hoping to make good on um, the rush into cyberspace. Oh. And if you remember, I was also hosting a TV show way back then 
um, kind of like understanding a little bit better than most people what uh, the what the cyber world was all about. Um, of course, a lot of people, such as Matt Armitage, has um, completely uh, how should I leapfrogged over my understanding and knowledge of it because I guess I still had one foot kind of like uh, I don't know not able to really one foot one part of the brain unable to really get with um, the uh, the uh, the virtual world. So um, it's never, yeah. So I even till this day, I don't understand NFT, non-fungible tokens. I, I still don't understand it. Um, there was a lot of hoo-ha about it several months ago. And I'm surprised to hear from you because it's the first time I'm hearing it that it's kind of like crashed. Um, and so I feel very sorry for that guy who bought that first tweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Whoever he is, you say one foot in in the old world and the, it, not in the the digital. I mean, like when um, the internet first began, there was Cyberjaya. You you live yes, quite correct. close to Cyberjaya, don't you, Matt? And yeah, a town that, over. That that the idea there, which was kind of ridiculous, was the idea to make the internet into a real estate um, deal. If you wanted to use the internet, you had to buy property in a particular spot. I mean, everyone's always been desperate to try to monetize something. So back then, in, by the year 2000, we were young, you and me, yep. Matt, we were young. And, and, <laughs> okay, Vern, sure, you were young too. And, <laughs> and so we were kind of like understanding it. But there were people behind us who, not yet born, who would just have an, an absolutely intuitive um, understanding of the internet. They had to learn nothing because it would just, it would just, it would just be absorbed in, 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 the, in their life. And uh, so I, I guess when they rule the world and they're coming of age now that where they will rule the world they will have no none of this inability to understand the the, the digital space i mean the, there's no bricks and mortar for them yeah for, for them for them it's for them it's a, such a part of the dna they don't even know how to unpack it so it's like you know like like moving from from the iphone to a rotary dial phone and they look at the rotary dial phone and it's completely kind of like alien to them. So like mm. for me, I mean, the reason why I was so caught up in that first gold rush, right? Back in the late 90s and into the early 2000s when the dot-com crash happened, I think was in 2003 or four. I, I was into it more, more because of the communication aspects of it, because it connected people in ways that they couldn't connect before. And that was what drew me to it. But once it became something that moved into the uh, financial area and business opportunities and stuff, I would lose interest. You know, I was more interested in the connection, the connection that it did for people in different ways, um, in faster ways, in, in ways that had never been done before. Like now, us having a meeting here um, and, and having a chit chat and we can see each other and we're in different parts of KL. That really excites me, you know? Mm, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But I think I think in part you could say that that was one of the reasons for the crash at the time because it was full of a lot of people who were really into the idea of communication. And it turned out that so many of those internet companies didn't have a business model. You know, they were founded by um, enthusiasts and advocates and the idea of building it and the, and the money would come. And, of course, all of this money flowed into these companies 
but they achieved no revenue sources. So that was, you know, one of the reasons that that kind of crash happened in, in 2003 and 2004, and probably why the current generation of uh, uh, internet entrepreneurs, you know, look a lot more like accountants. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I, th- I think this will be a, kind of a, a watch this space and we'll return to this space from time to time. There'll be a new South Sea bubble, tulip mania, um, <laughs> uh, com bubble. Constantly, every time there's something new, I mean, I guess there'll be some, some something happening. Okay, in a moment, though, we're going to discover um, all, a lot more about Vernon than perhaps we wanted <laughs> to know <laughs> when he discusses his fetishes here on A Bit of Culture. BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, uh, Matt Armitage, and Vernon Adrian Amon. And uh, Vernon, you, you um, want yes, to sir. ask us, what is our fetish? <laughs> yes, the topic of my uh, section today is uh, fetish. The word fetish and fetishization. Um, the reason for this is because, uh, you know, I, I, I do this uh, Sarani Sembang thing where uh, us mixed-race Malaysians come together and talk about stuff. And somebody had posted up um, an essay about fetishization and how a mixed-race um, lady or girl um, felt victimized by men who seem fetishized by or look at her as a fetish, as a mixed-race thing. And I was thinking like, um, mm, you know, this word fetish, um, maybe, it's, maybe it was clickbaited by by the media and the journalist was asking questions or uh, putting forward ideas that I thought well, you know, was a little bit over the top um, in that it was an overreaction to differences that exist between humans. Um, and then so I went looking for the uh, etymology of uh, the word fetish and I found out, lo and behold, it's actually a word that was coined by Portuguese sailors who arrived on the coasts of Africa, West Africa, and saw the African natives wearing amulets and charms around their necks. And they came up with a word, um, which I can't remember now, um, for those things. And so from these objects that people liked, which were referred to as the earlier original version of fetish, it began to, you know, uh, began to, to, to swallow up more meaning than it really uh, was intended to. And before we know it, it's kind of like become a fetish. It's kind of like a, an unreasonable obsession, you know, that goes beyond logic and appropriate behavior. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. So yeah, well, it is, it, it is a word that has different sort of meanings. So yeah, there's sort of whips and chains and leather and whatnot. And that's like a fetish. Um, but yeah, and there, there, then there's more the kind of communal um, Jungian, actually. Uh, right. So in the Jungian sense, you have fetish, and the opposite is um, taboo, and then you also have totems. So this is a way that sort of communities um, look at practices, at uh, uh, religions. Yeah, what is appropriate, what, what should be held in high regard. Yeah. So, yeah. so in this... And what to hate as well. Well, what is a taboo? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. I thought it was really interesting how this actual cross-cultural encounter came up with this word that, uh, you know, resonates in different ways for so many different people. And sometimes it does kind of like, uh, I don't know, it just brought to mind the idea that uh, meaning and language, you know, has such power and history and interest that, mm, uh, mm. you know, sometimes maybe we need to take a step back or three steps back and figure out what is the real meaning behind certain words mm-hmm. and how it can be 
used against us and how it can hurt us. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt, do you have a fetish for Eurasians? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I mean, I was... I mean, you, you said before we came on air that you were racking your brains to think of a, a particular fetish for your yourself. And I'm I'm the same. I can't think of one. But then I started thinking, well, maybe actually it's other people who identify the fetish in you. We're maybe not so good at identifying those fetishes in terms of, you know, obsessions or, or peccadilloes as maybe other people observing us are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I would think your fetish is technology and futurism, Matt. Yeah, whereas <laughs> I would dis- I would describe that as an interest, and I would maybe describe, um, you know, the 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 history of World War Two as possibly a, a fetish for for Cam, but also yeah, yeah, yeah. That that. But oh, let's drill down a little bit there. I would say yeah. that for Matt, um, let's uh, a slightly fictionalized version of Matt, perhaps. You could say that technology is a fetish for Matt if if Matt holds uh, technology in such high regard that his life revolves around the understanding and the celebration of technology, uh, then that would be a fetish. And if he doesn't really care that much about it, but he knows a lot, then it's an interest. Yeah. Yeah. So in my case, you said Second World War. I wouldn't say that it's a fetish, but I certainly think that uh, understanding conflict and trying to resolve and solve conflict is is a fetish. The, the, right. the, fetish. the, the, the journey, fetish. The, the yeah, the trying to understand that that's a fetish. Yeah. Whereas mm. equally, I think futurism is a fetish for me because I'm not really that bothered about technology, individual parts of technology. I tend to learn the concepts of them, but I don't necessarily, I'm not interested in, you know, what processes run things or a lot of the the kind of mechanics, but I'm very forward looking. I tend not to look backwards. So you could, I guess, describe futurism as a fetish of mine because it, it describes a kind of worldview that I have. Mm. This, this, this is coming from the man who started the show by talking at length about his love for a now defunct technology. <laughs> that's, but that's that's the point. It's not. It's it's the symbol it represents. Yeah, he, he's trying to unpack it. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, which, it's, it's an ongoing future. It's yeah. It's, it's the fact that it 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 heralded this future, and this future is still ongoing. So that's that's why I don't think the iPod's journey has actually finished mm. because it kickstarted this digital information revolution in a in a sense and we're still on that whether we go into the metaverse whether we all turn into nfts you know who knows but i think the ipod is part intrinsically part of that story okay but you don't you don't have eternal flame you don't you don't, you don't fetishize fire or the wheel or anything do you uh, I don't to the the same extent. I mean, the click wheel, I guess, yes, um, yeah. but um, but no, I, I I guess because the the when you when you talk obviously jokingly about something like fire, that's that's sort of more broadly linked to to everything. Whereas there's more of a direct connection here. At some point, that connection will break, and maybe I won't be interested in my iPod anymore. So so Vernon, with with this understanding of fetish, what what would your fetish be? Okay, uh, um, what's happening here now is that the what I thought the fetish was, with which was an illogical fascination, 
or analogical attraction, right, has just been debunked by both of you because you're saying that, you know, um, you do want to get into the, deep into the bones of that obsession, right? Is that what you said, Amitit? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, well, it's more than that. No, it's like a celebration. It's, a, yeah. it's almost a worshipping. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the definition now, the, or the right. secondary definition, which is an inanimate object worshipped for its supposed magical powers, which mm-hmm. effectively describes that iPod sitting on my table right now. <laughs> um, and, and describes Vernon. Absolutely. Um, As a Eurasian. And secondarily, um, because it is considered to be inhabited by a spirit, which is Vernon. Exactly. Well, there you go, you see. So that that, that instance that you were talking about at the beginning, Vernon, is is so a a non-Eurasian person, man, Mm. looking at a Eurasian woman. Yeah, a mixed race, but yeah. Yeah, a a mixed race, uh, who doesn't know anything personally about that person that 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 woman is able to to i don't know impart to see in it whatever he wants to see and and it's all the things that get him excited no it's not just as uh well he just he a person who has a fetish that definitely gets excited by it right um but yeah, yeah, where is the excitement coming from i mean like with with matt talking about how Futurism might be his fetish, right? And he's saying it's because he's fascinated by what lies ahead and he doesn't look back. So I can see that as, he, you know, he's, un, he's unpacked it. So for me, then it stops being a fetish because there is logic uh, to that obsession. But if there's no logic to that obsession, then to me, it's a fetish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not necessarily logic. But, yeah, I mean, but bear in mind those two other words as well that Jung would be throwing about, which is taboo and totem. Mm-hmm. Yep, so there's yep. the opposite, which is taboo. So the things that a community, generally a community, a group, finds disgusting. Mm, yes. Uh, you know, for Muslims, it would be bork, say. Yeah. Absolute taboo. But there can also be an illogical side to that taboo, right? But we're talking about a realm where logic isn't involved. <laughs> no, this is this is kind it's of a realm I, I know nothing about. Well, this, this is this is blind. This is faith, and this is not just faith. This is uh, community identity. Okay. Um, it, it's not it's not about logic, Mister Spock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm I'm with Vernon on this one. I, I I honestly take the logic out of it, and it collapses for me. Yeah. Take the logic out of which, the word fetish. Out of out of fetish or taboo, <laughs> any of them, it they they just kind of collapse for me without the logic component. Oh really? Yeah. Mm. Well, they they don't exist at all. Unless, of course, your fetish is is logicism. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> just about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I think that have we Vern, have Vernon have we? Uh, no, I, I think it's still up in the air. I, okay. I, I, I still haven't been convinced. I mean, like, is a fetish and illogical obsession. Why, why are we talking logic? It's got nothing well, to do with anything. I, I think that's probably the best place to leave it, that a fetish is up in the air. <laughs> Gives it more romance, right? <laughs> I think what, what Matt said earlier is that it's for other people to say, perhaps. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Also, Interesting. Fetish really is about a community thing. So if you, uh, Vernon, go down to your local pub and watch your your favorite football team with your 
football-loving friends, because you love football, mm-hmm. I know that, <laughs> then what that group of, say, Manchester United fans hold as fetish, which right. would be Manchester United, would be very different from when at Easter you go to church um, with your family and other members of your community, as it were, mm-hmm. then the fetish is a different thing. Okay, so other people find that as a fetish. They find no, that. No, no, no. You, you, <laughs> it is carried within the community. Okay. Fetish Not by any one single person. And totem. Is, okay. I mean, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, if you, if you then take it down to a single person, then it becomes sort of like, you know, I'll, I'll just covering yourself in whipped cream and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. I, just, I, I, mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm guessing as well. But I'm glad you raised the point. So uh, from, from that, we move on to the final part of the show, recommendations, where I recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Matt Armitage goes first. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is not flying. Um, I have to, uh, uh, I've got to go back to the uh, UK very soon. And it's going to be, I think, the first time I'll have been on a plane in probably about four years. And mm. if someone was to to come to me and and give me the plot for a horror film, they probably couldn't do much better than uh, this idea of, you know, being shepherded through multiple queues, through random bureaucratic processes, and then sitting in a metal tube hurtling through space for 12 hours followed by a mad scrum with everybody else to retrieve your possessions. The idea of it is absolutely horrifying me. (laughs) And I want to go and see my family. I want to go back to the UK. But I am absolutely terrified, not of the idea of flying, but of the process Mm. of flying. Yeah. Yeah, Cure. Mr. Futurist is is too scared to go. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's no, I've just heard, I've it, heard stories. Yeah, I've yeah. heard stories. Yeah, it's it's Appar- just that idea of being surrounded by people after two years yeah. of not being around people. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in a restaurant the other day for the first time, and that was kind of weird. Um, but you, apparently, you know, you can uh, you can actually book a berth on like container ships and stuff, and sail to wherever it is you want to go. I have tried to explore that, but uh, apparently the uh, the coffin and the earth I like to uh, travel with um, doesn't go down well at customs at the other end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so your recommendation is don't fly. Don't fly. Okay. How would uh, you... So, okay, well... It, it, if if that means don't months. go anywhere... <laughs> then just don't go anywhere. Yeah, I, I'm with you, actually. I, I, I think um, there's always that phrase, uh, travel broadens the mind. I think it narrows the mind, quite frankly. Um, okay, so Matt Armitage says don't travel. Uh, okay. Yeah. So my recommendation is uh, a documentary I watched the other day on a similar vein to what I was talking about earlier. It's called WeWork, or The Making and Breaking of a $47 Billion Unicorn. Um, WeWork was, I think it still exists actually, um, a joint workspace company. Mm-hmm. Co-working was, workspace. Yeah, co-working space, which is actually a really, it was actually a really neat idea, um, but it just got overvalued and then overvalued again and again and again. And so it was up to like $47 billion for what was just a co-working space. And, uh, and then it crashed. So... And part of the reason why it kept growing was really the main reason was the charisma of the the main man, whose name I have now forgotten. 
Um, oh. And I think people were attaching older people, actually, people in the money markets who didn't, who, like Vernon was saying earlier, still hadn't managed to take their foot out of the, the old world, <laughs> didn't quite fully, but sort of like this young man with his long hair and his charisma, he understands it, we'll throw money at him. And um, it's, it's just, re- it's a really fascinating story. There's also been a, a TV drama with um, Anne Hathaway. Um, I watched about 30 seconds. I wouldn't recommend that. You know, eight hours of it. It's not eight hours. It's an hour and a half. So watch the documentary. Yeah, in our recent history, there's been quite a number of these billion-dollar kind of like uh, yeah. scams that have happened. There was that, that young lady in America with her Middle Eastern partner who came up with that machine. The Ranos, yeah. The ah, Elizabeth yes, yes. Holmes and Sonny Balwani. Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, yeah. 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 Mm, mm. There was another story of a young person basically convincing the old money market that mm. this was the way to go. Which, yeah. which is a, a fantastic book, Blood Money, which is right, well yeah. worth reading. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the three of us, if we find a young charismatic type guy, right, or girl, <laughs> we, could, we could come up with something and train them, you know, and, and we, could, <laughs> we, we could make a killing. Because, no, if you just get out on time, if you get out of it on time, yes. then you make all the yep, money. Yep, yep. Yeah, but it does sound as though you're treating the uh, younger generation like puppies. No, but it's the older generation that gets victimized. Oh, puppets. Sorry, I misunderstood (laughs) completely. Yes. There's a difference. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's my recommendation is, I have to read it again now. It is, did I say it was called? It's called uh, WeWork or the Making and Breaking of a $47 billion Unicorn. Unicorn. It's really, it's really interesting. So, uh, Vernon, what's yours? Yeah, my recommendation is to just go out and treat yourself to a live entertainment show, whether it be theater or dance or live music, etc. Because these poor guys um, have been starved of work and making a living for more than two years. So, and I'm not sure whether every venue is now uh, um, presenting stuff, but yeah, everybody out there. Just go out and buy a ticket to a live show because the uh, theaters and the spaces are now, um, you know, uh, receiving full capacity and they need to bounce back um, well. So that's Mm. my recommendation. Because Vernon, he forced me to go and see a um, play (laughs) the other day and it was absolutely fantastic. I was very reluctant to go, but I got there. It was fantastic. It was inspiring and its name has escaped me. Vernon, what's it called again? Uh, the, the Tale of Dreams. It was a Pentas Project uh, production uh, with uh, Lo Kok Man, who is one of the most underrated theatre directors in Malaysia, KL, who does a lot of very interesting cross-cultural work. Uh, it was called The Tale of Dreams, and it had a multinational cast of Japanese, Taiwanese, and Malaysians. Yeah, yeah. kind of a Japan Foundation-funded thing correct. as well. And yes, who did the music? Correct. The music was fantastic. And that was, yeah, by somebody from, yeah, this, 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 this artist, yeah, Ken, Ken Lee. Yeah, um, so there were there were several Malaysians in it, and yeah, and it was brilliant, right? Yeah, glad yeah, you liked it. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad I was I was dragged out. Although he he <laughs> did send me a message just earlier to try and drag me out again, but you know, one time only. <laughs> right? Yeah, and the one that I sent you is a uh, Tiga Janda Malawan Dunia, which were translated to English is Three Widows Who Destroy the World or something. <laughs> so yeah. please look out for that Tiga Janda Malawan Dunia. Okay, that's my second second recommendation. All right, so that uh, brings us to the end of this week's show, and uh, only remains for me now to thank uh, Matt Armitage. Thank you for having me. 
So when are you starting to walk to England? Uh, well, <laughs> immediately after this uh, recording, I think. With oh, a really? View to, with a view to arriving when? No, I'm I'm off in about a week's time. Yeah. Well, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. As, All the best. As, as Safe journeys. In the movie, the, the wit, in Witness, uh, be careful among the English. <laughs> um, and uh, Vernon Adrian Amon? Well, thank you. Once again, always uh, fun and a pleasure and totally confusing. Yeah. So thank you. That's what we aim for. And myself, Cam Rustlands, and uh, please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.